epic the way it's written just yeah. that he just like and his rhymes are pretty good and like just everything he says is correct and substantially it's yeah. got it's got a whole bunch of goodness behind it yeah. but it's like i feel as though if we had found it on our own we would be like okay yeah that's yeah. That's, that's pretty good the hype that what got you? The hype, the hype, and it's like, have you guys not seen other musicals? And a lot of people are like, oh, I don't really like musicals, oh. but I like this one. But it's like, history is cool, and musicals are cool, and it took Hamilton to infuse these both things in a way that the dominant culture can appreciate. Mm-hmm. And if that's what made you give musicals a second chance, then sure. But is it the best musical ever? Not if you have seen the old ones, like from the 1960s. You mean the racist ones. St- those are the shit. No, no, no. no that's not- <laughs> you got the me. ones without black people in them. No, those no, no. Those are the best that's- ones. <laughs> I like Oliver. I like not uh, black. Oliver's. Oliver's pretty pretty great. Not black. But that, that, that's England during the the 1870s. And that was that's a historical fact. And. And the sound of music, <laughs> sound of music is is dope, hands down, best music of all time. Sound that's, of music, if you anybody like, that's, is the best. That's that's one thing that like, uh, I don't. That's the one thing I'm all for all the wokeness and all that. Don't cancel me, uh, but mm-hmm. I'm one of my dreams. This is like my if everything worked out, is everything worked out? We're on top. We're making millions of dollars. We we're mm-hmm. you know we're we're. We're we're drunk assholes. You know what I mean? We're mm-hmm. doing the oh, yeah. thing. I'm driving cars. Yep. When I'm sober, then getting a the driver. Yep. But I'm <laughs> drunk, and I get drunk, and I get Uber. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like one of my dreams that I like, can't have it anymore is like, or they're not. Or I get I get crucified for is I wanted to remake uh, the Longest Day. You seen mm-hmm. that movie? Mm-mm. It's an old D Day movie, and it's okay. it's just about like everything that happened on D Day. From like the Germans, the pre the preamble the preamble to D Day, then D Day. It's about from the paratroopers how paratroopers landed until they get off the beach at Omaha Beach at nighttime. It's about all that stuff until like mm-hmm. until like the end of the day, the whole day, June 6, nineteen forty four, and I can't remake that because most like ninety percent of that cast. 99% of that cast is going to be white dudes. Like no like maybe one white woman. Yeah. Like <laughs> like 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 the whole cast would be just white dudes. Like if you watch long the longest day, it is just it's like a who's who of like old white man actor John Wayne's in it. You just got them like, all. Yeah, yeah, like the it's a wonderful life guy. You know that guy? Uh-huh. Yeah. Like Man. all the all the, here's the thing. There is a black unit on D Day. And they're they're mm. they, I would include them. But they're like they're like balloon they're like they're balloon guys. They put up the balloons to like so planes can't fly through. Which is cool. But uh-huh. like that's gonna be one group of black guys. Yeah, out of this <laughs> entire this, <laughs> this entire, entire movie. <laughs> Man, <laughs> I was I was I I kind of noticed that the other day we were watching uh we were wa- we were unironically watching Monk the other day and I was just like there are no black main characters yeah. in in Monk. Yeah. It, it's all auxiliary. Yeah. It's all like a supporting role of some it's just kind of like this is a what early 2000s show mm-hmm. and still just nothing you know it's it's like somebody i don't told, know man it's somebody, a weird it's a weird thing somebody i mean so somebody told me that like like man yeah it's, it's hard to be a, a black person in like comedy and i was like oh and then like i started to look at it I was like oh no there's only a, a certain amount of spots for black people or were a certain amount of spots mm-hmm. for black people um and you know why they didn't have a lot of black people on d-day they weren't black why? units involved because uh I think it was I think it was the 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 general Montgomery the British general like went and he like specifically asked like that there were no black units involved on D-Day I think because he he knew how American units acted and like there was a lot of racism in the American ranks as where like they wouldn't like give like fire support to black units they wouldn't do certain things with like so like he was just like no 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 we're going to cut all that out from my understanding Damn. i might be wrong <laughs> so with that he was like he's like, like a like a like a like preemptive a, racism just be like i don't want racist things to happen so <laughs> <laughs> 
I was thinking like an inverted Vietnam. Yeah. This is like, oh, no, yeah. we're going to let all the white people die. And yeah. then Vietnam was like, no, we're going to send all the black people first. Black and people like, oh. and, and, and people without people who didn't go to college. All poor yep. kids. Black, yep. black front, and poor kids. Front lines. Front that's how, lines. That's how there you, you go. That's how you know your, your grandpa was real if you went to fucking Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Did yours go to Vietnam? He built planes in World War Two, from what I heard. Okay, pussy. Yeah, he he was back home, <laughs> safe and sound, you know, doing all the all the technical work that everybody was, sleeps on. God damn it! I don't know what he was in. I think he was at some air cavalry or some. Let's let's get to the goddamn history. Let's go. <laughs> let's, let's do it. Do it to it. All right, we're looking at the Rosenbergs today, and Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. Supposedly, like, the whole reason that the Soviets were able to build the atomic bomb, at least that's what they're built up as in Mm -hmm. the American imagination. But there's this whole question of once you start to examine the source material and start to really delve down into the case itself, you kind of find that they they might not be as complicit as they are are portrayed to be and it's like well why were they portrayed to be if that's the case everybody needs a scapegoat big dog everybody needs his damn scapegoat and they were the ideal scapegoat almost so rosenbergs they're this young jewish couple they live in manhattan Mm -hmm. and ethel ethel rosenberg originally wanted to be like an actress and a singer and she's got dreams and everything and they're they're pretty young whenever they get involved in the communist party Ethel Rosenberg. Before she is Ethel, or before she's a Rosenberg, her last name is Greenglass. Yeah. She's Ethel Greenglass, and her brother is this guy, David Greenglass, okay. who marries Ruth Greenglass. Yeah. So you've got you've got the not competing, but you've got this this dualism involved in the case, to where you've got the Greenglasses and the Rosenbergs, and the Rosenbergs are the one who go down for it. Right? Okay, yeah. Ethel gets her name Ethel. Ethel Greenglass becomes Ethel Rosenberg because she marries Julius Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. And Julius, he joins the Young Communist League at the New York City College in like pretty early in the, the 1930s. Okay. And it's in the midst of the Great Depression. And you've got like the rise of FDR and the rise of the New Deal and all this stuff. And so it kind of makes sense that, that socialism is this increasingly attractive government prospect because like we're fucking floundering right now we need some government help in reviving our economy here's the thing all your all that greatest generation bullshit that you hear on fox news Mm -hmm. is those all those all those dudes who are fucking socialists they'd be they'd look at bernie sanders and be like yo he's a pussy (laughs) yeah yo nationalize this shit now like that's nationalize this shit right now (laughs) (laughs) privatizing benefits Almost nobody. Like that's that's it benefits okay, that's no, it benefits whole, somebody and they're the it person, benefits somebody the person, who has all the money yeah. who's able to pay off the congressman yeah. in order yeah. to privatize the thing to begin with, yeah. but it, it benefits very few select very few people compared to what, what public what regulation could do. Look, we're, anyway. we're gonna we're gonna we're, 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 one day we're gonna get an Exxon. And boy, we're gonna start. We're gonna start knocking (laughs) on some goddamn doors. Tearing it down, you know, (laughs) tearing it down. So, in order to understand the whole case against the Rosenbergs, we need to understand this other. I think it's an OSS program Mm. called the Venona Decrypts. Yeah, and it starts in 1943, and it's a way to decode all these secret cables between like soviet agents in the united states and what they're cabling back to moscow because they're using this really complex code and then you've got the the venona program which is designed to to break all those down and basically translate all of them so according to the venona decrypts to where they're going to keep coming up julius rosenberg was in fact a spy with the code name antenna and then Mm -hmm. they changed it to liberal right so in his early 40s, he did in fact run a spy ring and included like his friends and people who he had met in college and college students. And he was able to pass on information about like radar technology and planes to the Soviets. Yeah. But the whole crux of the case is whether or not they handed off info to the Soviets about the atomic bomb. Mm. And that's not what the Venona decrypts found exactly. Yeah. And just a little more background on the Rosenbergs is that they're like – 
Julius Rosenberg, he's living with his mother-in-law, and uh, you know he's just trying to live a normal life. It's like normal to live with your mom. It's normal. It's it's okay, right? <laughs> That's not defensive. I mean, That's not being being weird. Right on. Keep it moving. <laughs> he, he, I mean, he was, he was. I think he was like 24 at this time. How, hey, how old people are, are people are people are in their 20s at all times. All right, <laughs> just shut in up. the 20s. If we can yeah, make shut that, we're both we're both in our 20s. <laughs> he had, he had a wife though and a and a child. I don't know. I don't have what. What is going on? <laughs> Wait, how do we get here? <laughs> how do we get on the top? <laughs> it was spontaneous. It was compulsive. All right. Whoa! Okay. So Mar- March of 43, Ethel Rosenberg gives birth to their first child, and this is what prompts them to start like finding their own apartment. And Julius, he's like a very loyal communist, and both of them, they've never been to Russia. They're like born in Manhattan, but they're like fetishizing what life in Russia is probably like and of course they haven't heard about the purges in the late 30s or anything like that so they're still just they've they're you know they've got the rose tinted glasses on and everything yeah here's the thing communism look it look it sounded sweet back then especially compared uh-huh. to like 1930s america which was just a lot of yeah, fuckery uh, and like yeah. a lot of building of these good social programs but like uh-huh. just realizing like your your whole economy and life and likelihood of having a good life had been destroyed by <laughs> the crash of the stock market yeah uh, if if you only read the first two chapters of animal farm communism's looking amazing this you know you're what like happens. hell yeah this it, is going to be great this thing will happen. The communism that's ideal is not like what's going on in, yeah, <laughs> in Stalin's uh, Russia. It's we like, consistently <laughs> fall short of the ideal as yeah. as humans. And so his spiring, ultimately, he's got about like eight guys working under him, and he answers to this guy, Semyon Semyonov. Before it was this guy, Jacob Golos, but the, the command changes. Mm-hmm. And so looking at the other couple, you've got the Rosenbergs and then the Greenglasses on the other side. In the summer of 1944, David Greenglass, I think it was an army guy, and he was shifted from his overseas post to Santa Fe, New Mexico, to start working on the Manhattan Project, which is the U.S. atomic program. And David, he's sending letters back to Ruth, who I think is in New York City. And David, in these letters, he's saying that, like, Europe and these countries in Asia, they're destined to fall mm-hmm. to communism. And that's okay. Like, that's a good thing. Like, yeah. he says that a socialist America is going to be realized within their lifetime. Mm-hmm. I mean, just look at what the New Deal is doing. We're yeah. going to, we're going to, we're going to make it happen, you know? Yeah. And in one of the letters, this is a quote specifically, he says, quote, I love you with all the love of Marx and the humanity of Lenin. And if you ask a Fox News correspondent, that means I don't love you at all. I think that I think that just makes me like think about like, yo, know, I love you with all the love of Marx. What did Marx fuck like? You know what I mean? Yeah. Not mm. good. That beard. <laughs> that's not a man who knows how to use his hips. Not not, not well, a man. No, he's, was it more of like a tongue man? Look, he has to be giving. You know what I mean? Perhaps. He has to, yeah, it's not. He he knows it's not just a take. I have to take everything. We all have to get all yeah. of ours. I wanted that carried to the bedroom, um, uh-huh. and if I know, men, I don't think so. he seems. He seems like a guy who would just like lay down, if yeah, on the bed, you know, no, back yes. back to the to the mattress, just belly up, and just like, all right. Every every in every economic system, men are trash at giving mm-hmm. those orgasms. Mm-hmm. That's right. Although man. I we have just... heard in in socialist countries, and there were a little bit more. Really, tiny bit more, and I, and so- where I, socialists are better lovers. Is you, that what, what you're saying? Maybe, and I, I've heard that, and I don't, I don't trust the source. But. Communists <laughs> have better sex. If you if you join the communist party, um, you will have you will get an extra two inches on your penis. Okay. All right, two that's, extra inches there. That's if, that, if that's what you want. Is that from like the famine? Like you Maybe get those visual inches. The, the, the distribution <laughs> of the fat needs to change as you begin to starve. I know Who in Russia knows, that you man. did get extra two inches. It was from the fan. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> it was, it was a, yeah, government, yeah, and if, government and if, program. And if, and if you guys are sitting at home like, man, I can't tell how these guys and where they actually feel about <laughs> this stuff. Yeah, that's the fucking point, bruh. That's the point, man. <laughs> Keeping it centrist. All right? We're killing it. <laughs> 
And like David Greenglass isn't the only one who's who is or seems to be a devoted socialist. Like Ruth says back in her letters to David that she hopes their children will be brought up in a socialist world. Yeah. So it's not like these guys hate socialism or or hate the Communist Party. In fact, quite the opposite is true. So in September of 1944, Julius Rosenberg back in Manhattan, he hears about or like you, you know he he cables over to Moscow and he recommends using Ruth Greenglass's apartment in New York at the time and her codename is Wasp. He says that they should use Wasp's apartment as a safe space where they could copy down documents. So yeah. Julius aspiring, they would go and they would steal all these documents and they would copy down what they say and then they'd send those back to Moscow. And Soviet intel, they get some more information from Liberal, who is Julius, about where David Greenglass is stationed. And they're like, holy shit, he's working on the Manhattan Project in in Los Alamos? We should get him in the fold. You know, yeah. he's he's a key player. We need, we need that atomic information more than we need whatever you're fucking giving us, Julius. What are you doing, right? And so they recommend that they need to recruit both both the green glasses, both Ruth and David, into the spy network in October of 44. And their handler becomes this guy, Harry Gold, who is this, this physician and Soviet agent in New Mexico working very close to the Man- Manhattan Project. Physicist. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to... Did I say physician? You said physician, but I wanted to clarify okay. that because I don't think Thank he's just you. like... Yeah, he's no. just going to his doctor and they're just like... Yeah. He's just tapping his knee like, yo... The right, the uh, uh-huh. all the means of production should be shared, and then that's uh-huh. how that happened. No, nah, yeah, he had these he very w- weird codes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he like taps his knee twice, and then he says, um, "Sassafras." Okay, and then he, right. he answer, <laughs> answer, "Sassafras Zimbabwe," and it's like, "Okay, you're my, you're my contact." You're my, you're the contact. <laughs> no, I, I, and, and and like it's a weird thing from what I've been reading about like just communism and and and, and or, well, more of like Russia and uh-huh. and just the way that they did spying the KGB oh they were good they These were niggas good, were good. <laughs> they held it down like <laughs> they were good. they didn't leave a big giant sloppy messy ass paper trail yeah. like the CIA or CIA anything wild. It's like, just like they didn't give a fuck if they were caught or yeah. not they're like yeah we did that what the <laughs> fuck are you going to do do something so November tw- or November 29th of 1944 on or around this date and this is this is David Greenglass's testimony Ruth arrives in New Mexico saying that she has been recruited by Julius and asks if David her husband mm-hmm. would be willing to pass information about the atomic bomb to Julius so he yeah. can pass it off to the Russians and David agrees so December 16th of 1944, you've got this Venona decrypt from the KGB station in New York City to Moscow saying that David is eventually, he's like pretty soon coming up, he's going to he's gonna visit New York City. Mm-hmm. And, he, and Julius is basically asking like, all right, now that I'm going to be in contact with my brother who knows supposedly all these atomic secrets, how do you want to do this? Like... You guys want to give me a list of questions that I yeah. can ask him about the program. That way I can pass off whatever information you guys need to know mm-hmm. back to you guys. Or like maybe one of your guys should meet with David and, and th- that way you can ask all these questions directly and kind of cut out the middleman. How you guys want to do this? And they end up doing both. Like he meets with Julius and Julius had provided a list of questions. And David meets with like a, another KGB operative, I think inside like a car in the middle of, of New York City. So there's another Venona decrypt dated January 8th, 1945, and it indicates that David arrives in New York City and passes atomic information to the Soviets through his wife, Ruth, and doesn't even implicate the Rosenbergs at all in this, that it was was entirely the Green Glasses. Okay. So on January 1st, 1945, Green Glass, this is David again, part of his testimony, he claims to have given a drawing of a high-explosive lens mold to Julius. Mm-hmm. And David also claims to have witnessed the the cutting of this jello box, which becomes like a very important piece of evidence on, on this same date, January 1st of 1945. And the jello box thing is like, you know, Greenglass's claim is that 
Julius takes the the lid of this Jello box that you like. You buy Jello in, yeah. just like any other cardboard box, and that he cuts it in a very specific way, and he gives half of it to David, and then he would give the other half of it to whatever KGB operative David was supposed to talk to. And the way they would know that that was their contact is that the the pieces of the jello box would match up like a like a jigsaw puzzle and it was what the kgb called a material password so Uh like anybody can learn a password but if you have this if you have this matching piece then we don't have to worry about about shit getting lost in in um in conversation or somebody knowing the password then you've got this physical thing that needs to be matched up and then it's like okay this is definitely my contact because nobody else has has this thing that i have that'd be that's an interesting thing but just like always with that shit like what if you lose it Hmm. what if you you lose it and you're just like oh fuck i'm not a spy anymore i just have to live in st louis now uh-huh. Like, <laughs> like, I'm, just, I'm just stuck here. Yeah. All because we were trying to clean the house and I was trying and to like, do a thorough job. And there's all these all these pieces of cardboard around the house. Because it looks like I, trash. It <laughs> looks like trash. And I just genuinely forgot. What do you am I gonna obsess about every piece of trash that I'm yeah. throwing into the trash can, wondering like, oh, is this my material password? I never wanted to go to spot shit. I never wanted to go to spot I never wanted to my do this. My mom made me do this. I my wanted mom. to dance. God I wanted damn to, it. I wanted to be a dancer. I didn't want to go to spot mm-hmm. school. Mm-mm. And but I was just talk talked into it because my mom said that there was no money in dancing and she didn't believe in my ability. She didn't believe in my God given abilities. Henry, and here here Henry, I am. Henry, the bit ended like thirty seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> like, like. Kept it, keeping the hacky up. You no, know? no, 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 no. Let's <laughs> one more. <laughs> So in February of 1945, another Venona decrypt. This is a cable from the KGB station in New York City to Moscow. And this one says, this is this is like on paper, not what Greenglass is saying, which is the important distinction. This one says that Ruth, Ruth Greenglass, neither of the Rosenbergs, mm-hmm. Ruth Greenglass, yeah. David's wife, is going to be responsible for choosing the material password. And so this contradicts what Greenglass claims. And that he says that, like, no, Julius is the one who chose the material password, and he, he cut it in his apartment. I saw him do it, but he saw him do it a month prior to when the Soviets ordered it should be done. So, which okay. Is, so you got, you got, right, all right, so let's go through this. You got David Greenglass, who uh-huh. works at Los Alamos, mm-hmm. and you got, you got Ruth Green, Greenglass, who lives uh-huh. in New York. Yep. Okay. Um, That's his wife. David David works at Los Alamos. Uh-huh. Julius and Ethel Rosenberg live in New York. Uh-huh. And apparently Julius is a contact. Yes. So they're just middlemanning through okay. all this shit. Okay. I mean, it's it's pl- it's plausible, but like at the same time like why do you have to I mean, cuz I guess maybe like Julius is spying. I don't know if it was like well known or yeah. prominent or not or maybe it's like they were still build the KGB were still building their headquarters in New Mexico, if and maybe like a, New York was their epicenter, and it, they, they it was just I'm more built though, up if, over if, there. If this was an important contact, and not that I've yeah. ever had a spy ring or would deign to know anything about it. Uh huh. Just need one guy, but you it's just, less yeah. suspicious. Less suspicious to send it. Send it to a send it to a, a relative. Yeah, and he's he's already got his own set of contacts, and so there's this whole kind of like chain of command that can get real sloppy if you let it. So on February, interesting enough, like that that same month, the same month that they say like, okay, Ruth, you're gonna choose the material password. February 10th of 45, Julius is fired from his army job. He was a Signal Corps inspector because they found out he was a, a communist mm. and th- there was a FBI it was called a black bag job yeah. which basically it was like an illegal invasion of the communist party headquarters and they get their membership list and they just basically you know make their own list of everybody who was on it and Julius is on this list and they're like hey man we know you're a communist you work for the army you're fucking out of here, man. We can't have that shit. Well, because it, it, it's, it's a certain time when they like, 
they just kind of i mean i think they started real they they've been busting communists for a while like it's not yeah. like it this just starts during world war ii no they there was there was like busting of communists and like people getting beat up and like there's there's uh-huh. riots yeah. and stuff and all all type of yeah. stuff during like police violence during the during during the depre- during the depression uh-huh. so like they're just they're starting to realize like yeah man there's that whole pivot where people are like, yeah, man, we're going to defeat the Nazis. That's pretty much going to happen. Yeah. And the we Japanese. We kind of know that's going yeah, to happen. But, like, the but next enemy is. Yeah, the in, communists. And the, Russia, and the Russians or the Soviet Union are mm-hmm. thinking the same thing. And they're all like, it's, it's, oh, that's the next enemy. Because I think I think Truman in, in 1941, when he was still a senator, he said something to the effect of, like, okay, we should join World War II. But if the Russians start to win we should fight with Nazi Germany. And if Nazi Germany starts to win, we should fight with the Russians. Like, let's just, let's just see how this plays out. No, they're, no, they're, yeah, they, they don't have, yeah, no, those people didn't have as much against Germany as they said they did. As they said yeah. they did eventually. <laughs> and then they discovered all the, all the, all the camp, death camps. Did they, and shit. And here's like, the thing. Oh, That's oh, an interesting fuck. thing. Did they discover it late or did they, they already knew about it? Yeah, but it's it seemed I think I think it seemed more like a, like a Jewish conspiracy to where Albert Einstein was like fleeing all that shit and he told FDR like, "Hey man, this is happening over here." And FDR was I don't, I, I mean, I guess like a little bit anti-Semitic to yeah, where well, he didn't oh, entirely is, believe is, Einstein about this shit. So and he was like, "Oh, well, of course thought, a Jewish person." You're saying would say they that. thought it was a Jewish conspiracy. Just making sure. Maybe. Yeah, just, yeah. They yeah, thought, yeah. Okay, they, yeah, they they did. Thought, okay. That was their initial you, reaction. Like, it's like the Jewish community <laughs> was telling them that they were being killed in yeah. mass, and they didn't believe them because they were Jewish. And it's like, whoa. So February 16th of 1945, this is six days after Julius Rosenberg has been fired by the army. Moscow, they cable back to their KGB station in New York City. They hear that Julius has been found out, and they don't want him to jeopardize their broader espionage operation now yeah. that he's been outed as a communist. And they're like, okay, he's no longer one of our guys. He's no longer an operative. You know, command of his spying needs to be turned over to whoever's next in charge. Mm-hmm. He can't be, he can't, uh, we can't afford him to out the rest of us. Yeah. Don't fucking talk to him anymore. Wow. And he, you know, he doesn't really like abide by this that much. He's like loosely keeping his duties up. He's kind of like providing shelter for agents and moral support and still yeah. in contact with all of them. Well, that's not how, that's not how spy rings work. And no, I don't think you're he, not supposed to be friends with yeah, your contacts. Yeah, no, it's, you just got to get out of there. <laughs> like, yeah. Because now you're, you're going to get everybody to, killed, yeah. bro. Like, that's how yeah. that works. What are, what are you doing? You're yeah. going to blow this whole thing up. Uh, and But he's like, I don't have any other friends, yeah. man. Come on. That's why you need to know your deli guy. If you know your uh-huh. deli guy, maybe you have other friends. You'll you know always I mean? have a friend. Exactly. In your, in your jolly old deli man or woman. Who knows, man? No, this time it was a man. But that it was, was this wrong. This time it was that a man. That was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no glass ceilings here. Uh, June 3rd of 1945, Greenglass supposedly passes a sketch of, or th- this happened. All right. Greenglass, David Greenglass, passes a sketch of a lens mold to Harry Gold in Albuquerque, who passes it to Anatoly Yatskov. It also went by the name Anatoly Yakovlev. And in the trial, Harry Gold claims that the Soviets ascribed a super high level of importance to this drawing, right? Yeah. But in actuality, when it was being transmitted, the the New York City guys, they like cable over to Moscow, and they're like, hey, uh, don't expect too much out of this. This drawing's pretty shitty. Pretty sure he just, like, got this off of, of, of somebody's fridge, and a, and a child drew it, and now there's just a missing part on the fridge. Like, I just I just like that it's fucking, that it's probably like New York guys, like to these the, these Russians, and just being like, hey, this fucking jerk-off over here, he fucking sent us some <laughs> shit, and like, yeah, if I'm a ghoul. Yeah. Like, I don't know why I made him Italian, like hey. a stereotypical Italian, but I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on. Watching too much Sopranos, No, man. yeah, no, fucking... The way that ends is one. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> okay, right. <on. laughs> so September of 1945, David Greenglass supposedly turns over a drawing of an explosive lens to Julius at the Rosenberg's apartment mm-hmm. while he was furloughed in New York City. Yeah. And this is called by Judge Kaufman, who is the is the judge presiding over the Rosenberg trial. This is called the atomic bomb secret. Okay. So it all rests on this September 1945 meeting. What had actually happened 
is that Green Glass met with Yatskov in New York City in September of that year, and they have a brief convo basically about like his day-to-day operations yeah. at Los Alamos, and neither of the Rosenbergs are present, and Green Glass is basically like, what should I do next? And Yatskov says, here's what we need to know. And Ruth is going to get that information and pass it to the espionage contact in Albuquerque. Mm. Rosenbergs are not involved at all in this one. Yeah. So December 21st of 1945, Ruth Greenglass meets with espionage contact and hands off the info to the contact, I think in Albuquerque. And this results in this this cable from from the KGB in in the United States of December 27th of 1945. There's this guy, Vesevolod Merkulov, who's head of the Ministry of State Security. He sends him all the info collected by the Green Glasses to Lavrenti Beria, who we talked about in the Khrushchev (laughs) episode. Yeah, he was like head of the secret police, just a really nasty fucker. And like David... David goes pretty far. Like, he even manages to get some uranium to Moscow that he steals from the Manhattan Project. And he, like, steals some plutonium, but I think he's afraid of being found out. And so he, like, throws the plutonium into the river, which, like, poisons drinking water, presumably, for a bunch of people. I don't know if there's any record of that, but uh, it's it's fucking likely. (laughs) Again, again, these people, David's and Ruth's name are, are green glass. Uh-huh. Yes. Their name is not Rosenberg. Not Rosenberg. Okay. So Green Glasses. Heavily implicated in this. Rosenbergs have been ordered to cease their intelligence operations. Okay. Alright. Okay. I'm just gonna you alright. Because if we all, okay, okay. <laughs> if you don't know how the Rosenbergs ends, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tell you how it ends. Because yeah. I want you to understand why this is weird to us. Uh yeah. or to me at least. Fucking yeah. the Rosenbergs end up getting the fucking chair. For yeah. espionage and giving away the atomic secrets. Uh-huh. So they don't like, seem like they're giving away any fucking secrets right now. And it seems like it's all the green glasses, yeah. right? And yeah. they like, you know, the whole like sponges to the head, like a wet sponge yeah. to the head when they put your spaghetti helmet yeah. on or your spaghetti strainer uh-huh. helmet on. And then this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they end up like, getting the fucking chair. That's what happens yeah. to the Rosenbergs. Yeah, not the green glasses. Not the green glasses. We're talking mainly about green glasses here. The green glasses. Yeah. All right. So in March of 1946, David Greenglass is finally fired from Los Alamos. I can't say definitively it was because he was stealing shit. Yeah. I don't know why. he was, Maybe he was drunk on the job. I don't know the specific circumstances behind which he was fired, but I can't help but suspect that he was caught stealing some shit. Look, right? I mean, look at, look at it this way. If, 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 if he was stealing some shit... That takes away from your daily duty that work. You got reports to file. You got yeah, fucking. Man. You got fucking mm-hmm. tasks and data to run. And you're fucking yep. over here stealing. You're not getting your job done, bro. You're yeah. slacking. There's yep. an Austrian man who got who literally got saved from the Holocaust, <laughs> and he's pumping out work. And you're over here fucking <laughs> taking sixteen smoke Jerking breaks. Jerking off. Get yeah. The what are you doing, <laughs> man? Yeah, smoking a pack a day on the job. But if anything, like if you're able to to file all your reports and do all your day-to-day desk duties yeah. and manage to steal things as well you're an above average employee you could have came with you're, the hydrogen you're going bomb the also. extra miles you, you know what i H-bomb mean bomb if you want to but you're fucking you could, you just yep. off. your you duties are split man yeah. you just need to be sometimes it pays to put all your eggs you in one basket maybe to the thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's to the job like, you're being like paid to do God like damn. i did commit to stand up where mm-hmm. am i now at my mom's house. <laughs> Boom. To be fair, you were at your mom's house before you started. I was, but I was, it was a, <laughs> all right, all right, Henry. All right, bro. All right, moving on. This correlation does not equal Move causation. Come on, man. <laughs> Keep it going. <laughs> so behind all this, in between when the Rosenbergs are finally brought to trial and the green glasses are fired and and all this activity what's going on in the background of all this in january of 1947 young california republican congressman by the name of richard nixon (laughs) ousts this new dealer this like well-established new dealer democrat jerry Voorhees, from his congressional seat right with the help of the dulles bros and this this corporation, Gladding McBean, which is like a California ceramics corporation whose chief executive sits on the board of Standard mm-hmm. Oil. 
And the reason they've got a really big beef with Voorhees is because he's like, he's a new dealer. He's trying to nationalize the energy and transportation industries and like, you know, also establish some like regionally or some, uh, what is it? He's trying to establish, I think it's it, these, these like federal reserve banks that are not private. They're public and private corporations hate this guy yeah. because of all that. And he's also trying to shine light more. What gets the Dulles brothers involved is he's trying to shine light on collusion between this this Wall Street law firm Sullivan and Cromwell, whom both the Dulles brothers worked for prior to World War mm-hmm. II. One of their clients is is Standard Oil. Yeah, and they had colluded with this Nazi conglomerate IG Farben, who's like this German corporation with Nazi ties. And they're all working together. And Voorhees is like, yo, somebody needs to know about this. They're still operating on U.S. soil. They deserve to be brought to justice mm-hmm. for doing this all this shady shit. Yeah. And so they get Nixon as this guy of like, no, 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 no. We can, we can, we can just make sure that you're no longer in Congress as long as our, our, our young, young spry boy Nixon gets you out of office. And he does. Here's the thing. One of the f- oh, when you talk about Standard Oil... And people don't recognize that name. The Standard Oil was it's the company. It's Rockefeller's company. Why do you yep. know? Why you know John Rockefeller, the guy, uh-huh. the what Thirty Rock, Rockefeller Square, where NBC is. Yeah, like yep. the companies that Rockefeller was split into, because uh, <laughs> they had to. Yeah, cause they because they had because he to. was too powerful because <laughs> he had too much money. Exxon and Chevron. Mm-hmm. That's under. That's not even the whole company. Both of those, <laughs> like Exxon, Chevron, Marathon Petroleum, and then like part of BP is like this part of BP is it comes from Standard Oil. So it's, it's yeah, it's a lot. It's super business. It's a lot. They're like, it's we a, don't give a fuck who you are. We oh, will do business with you. Oh, no, there's a lot more stuff. Oh, 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 Texaco, uh-huh. which my mom used to work for, became part of Chevron. It's like there's there, there, there's a whole lot. There's a whole lot yeah, acquired it's, it's in two thousand. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot. The way those oil companies are split up and the money that flows from it and like yeah. the way they it's and, a lot. and where it goes, it's, it's an interesting, it's interesting follow. Yeah, no, we live in Houston. It's kind of a wild town. Yeah, it's kind it's of a like, little groovy town that nobody wants to talk about. Yeah. All right. So Nixon gets into office and one of the first things he does is he's kind of almost like coming up alongside of Joseph McCarthy. Okay. And he sits on the House Un-American Activities Commission. One of the first things that Nixon does that thrusts him into national prominence is the trial of the two, these two guys, Alger Hiss and Harry Dexter White. And these are two FDR's boys, like hardcore New Dealers, yeah. and they have ties to this guy Whitaker Chambers, who is a communist agent and like harry dexter white his credentials are nearly impeccable like he created the imf and the world bank and just did all this all this shit that established this you know i don't know if that's that created the world that we live (laughs) in you know yeah yeah (laughs) and so he's like trying these two guys and the smoking gun like alger hiss primarily is like denying that he ever knew whitaker chambers at all yeah and the the smoking gun is these things called the pumpkin papers and Chambers, he's like stored all these confidential papers that are written by Hiss. They have Hiss's handwriting inside of a pumpkin in a Maryland farm. And like Hiss, or Chambers claims that Hiss gave him those papers to copy down. And this contradicts what Hiss said about having never met Chambers. And so Hiss is convicted not on being a communist agent, but on having committed perjury because he lied to to congress or he lied to the lied to the jury look if right? you got something if you got something in a, a, a vegetable or a fruit or whatever uh-huh. if you're hiding shit in in, in food in yeah, fruit probably in it's fruit. not it's not probably it's not probably what you should yeah. be doing no <laughs> like, like, <laughs> you, need, you need to reevaluate yeah. where where you're at pumpkins really yeah. dude what are you doing <laughs> i wonder who got that pumpkin come come halloween like you would not believe what this jack-o'-lantern has been through. If I mean, this jack-o'-lantern could tell you its story. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. If, if, if this was FBI agents who discovered that, that pumpkin, they probably just smashed it on the ground because that's what the uh-huh. FBI does. They just yep, smash they things. They don't give a fuck. They just, <laughs> they just hit just shit. Just bad people. <laughs> Not the smartest, right? No, that's pretty smart. At, They're just bad. <laughs> some, some of them are just bad people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looking at, at Harry Dexter White in, in particular, he's a pretty sympathetic 
character. Um, during the the trial, Harry Dexter White delivers this thing called the American Creed, and it's pretty inspiring. I'm going to read a portion of it here. It's pretty solid. He says, during the trial, before Nixon, right, he says, I believe in freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of the press, freedom of criticism, and freedom of movement. I believe in the goal of equal opportunity and the right of each individual to follow the calling of his or her own choice and the right of every individual to an opportunity to develop his or her own capacity to the fullest. I believe in the right and duty of every citizen to work for, to expect, and to obtain an increasing measure of political, economic, and emotional security for all. I am opposed to discrimination in any form, whether on the grounds of race, color, religion, political belief, or economic status. And he says all this while vehemently denying that he's a communist. And it's just like, these, this is the American ideal. This is the American creed. This is what we stand for. This is what we could be. This could is be. what we are constitutionally. Could, could be. be. Yeah. Could be. <laughs> Not what we <laughs> act we, as, <laughs> but it's like, th- that's the American could, creed. Could and it, still it's, go. <laughs> could still go. Yeah, yeah still could. <laughs> and he actually dies before yeah. the conclusion of the trial. In August of 1949, he dies of a heart, heart attack. He had like a pre-existing condition that was agitated by the stress of the trial, presumably, right? Okay. And again, Nixon is like thrust in the national prominence from, from the trials. That's the trumpet I do for every uh, accidental pre-existing congestion oh, death, yeah. oh, heart death. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Quotes around that. <laughs> yeah, little little extra, extra legal stuff, yeah. you know? Nixon actually ends up becoming Eisenhower's vice president in 1952. And it just goes to show you, like, he fucking skyrocketed. You know, he went from, like, first-term congressman, housed his first un-American activities, or he he housed his first commission, right? And then from that, jumped immediately to vice president, where he was working with none other than uh, Eisenhower's secretary of state, John Foster Dulles. Yeah. So there's kind of this this group around Eisenhower who who has someone else's interest in mind. Here's the thing, you again, it goes back to what we're talking about with Muhammad, with the, with with with, with uh, Gaddafi and with uh, and uh, with Che. You 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 want to you want to be part of the thing that's going on. Yep. The, the House on Un-American Activities. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, like it's led by, there's a leader. Yep. You don't want to be McCarthy. McCarthy. You don't want to be McCarthy. You want to be the leader. You want to be the yep. guy that's one removed. Uh-huh. He's just kind of like, guy that's I'm just here. Him, right? I'm just fucking yeah. doing a thing. Yeah. So then you can yep. have a fun time and you're not responsible for it. Like, well, that was really you're not, you're not bogged down yeah. in this dead end yeah. on the House on yeah. American Activities respons- Commission. Just like, God damn it. I'm just- any of these things. I'm just here mm-hmm. and sometimes shit goes nope. wrong and I'm sorry. You always want to be that second guy. You never want to yep, be the first. Always guy. want like Nikita Khrushchev and Lavrenti <laughs> yeah. Barium, man. You want to be you want to be second in line, right? You want to you want to be the uh, shit yeah, starts right. going south when you're the first guy. People can pinch uh-huh. it on you. Uh huh. On right on you because yeah. you're the leader. You're the leader. And then if you're, you're second, the you're like, whoa! Don't look at me. Look at him. Right? You want to be second? Hear that, kids? Uh-huh. Be second. Mm-hmm. Be second. Be second. Silver medal. Yeah. Silver medal is a great place Nobody to be. Nobody ever shoots the All silver right. medalist. <laughs> you ever thought about that? How many gold medals have been shot in the face? Nobody does go. that to the guy who got silver. The guy who got bronze. Nobody cares nobody about him, rem- but the nobody silver cares guy. about that guy. Silver. Yeah. You, you, you're still a silver medalist. Like, that's a hell of an accomplishment. Uh, you didn't get gold, but you also didn't die. Yeah. So, you know, count your lucky stars, all right? On June 16th in 1950, this is David's first statement with the FBI. He's arrested, and he primarily implicates himself and his wife mm-hmm. before he even mentions the Rosenbergs. And they get they get Ruth, Ruth Greenglass, into custody, and at first she denies everything, and then she starts to more broadly implicate the Rosenbergs. And she yeah. talks about, like, this is when you see, like, the, the Jell-O box story to where it's like, oh, Julius was the one who cut the Jell-O box, mm-hmm. and all these tools used to, you know, it was cut in their apartment. They were the ones who did it. Yeah. It wasn't us, which is not true, as we've seen from the Venona decrypts. And David never even mentions the January 1st, 1945 drawings is in his initial confession. Instead, he says that what he gave to Julius was not info on the atomic bomb, but rather a list of potential recruits, mm, right? Okay. And 
Then he starts to hear what Ethel said in her initial confession, and he's like, "Oh, what did my wife say? What? What? Oh, yeah, that's that's actually what happened. Yeah, yeah, whatever my wife said happened is 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 the true story." Mm. And so he changes his story to match his wife, but only after he hears that their stories differ, right? Yeah. And so, as a result of their collective testimony, July 17th of 1950, Julius Rosenberg is taken into custody as a result, on, and they start interrogating him, and like he implicates Ethel, and then on March 6th of 1951, this is the opening trial of the Rosenbergs in New York City. And the trial lasts only 14 days, because that's how convinced the jury wow. is of the guilt of the Rosenbergs specifically because and they're relying primarily on on like the green glasses testimony right because they're coming in though that 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 you know the jury's coming in fresh off this is 1950 america uh-huh. fresh off that feeling of, of like the cold war yeah this is a new yeah. cold this is fresh cold war shit oh yeah this <laughs> like, is the start of it yeah it's like they they have obviously heard about the trial of alger hiss yeah. and harry dexter white and like Nixon's rise has all been publicized and everything. And like the red scare is in full swing right now. Mm -hmm. And like primarily green glasses testimony relies on like, Oh yeah, January 1st, I was in New York city. I gave Julius and Ethel all this fucking information. Mm -hmm. Or I gave you, I gave it all to Julius. And then they start to implicate Ethel because like Ruth is trying to type up the information that, that, David Greenglass has, has written about all the sketches that he's giving, yeah. but Ruth is like, God damn it, my stupid ass husband, I can't even read his fucking handwriting. Ethel, you grew up with him. Why don't you type it down? Because you actually can read his handwriting, wow. this sloppy ass mother. So now Ethel is is also involved, right? Yeah. And the case against them rests almost against the against the Rosenbergs. It lasts or rests almost entirely on the testimony of the green glasses. It's basically like a like a he said, she said situation. It is green glass versus Rosenberg, right? Yeah. And Harry Gold, who is who is like their guy in New Mexico, he's a he's a corroborative witness and he's like supposed to have met with the, the Rosenbergs on June third, and he's the he's the only other guy that they bring in to bolster the testimony of the Rosenbergs. Mm. And ultimately they're convicted. So on June 19th of 1953, Eisenhower, he refused to grant a stay of execution. So Julius at age 35 and Ethel at age 37 get the electric chair at Sing Sing Prison in in New York. Yeah. And for what? You know? Because they got snitched. They got snitched on for one. And it doesn't really, it doesn't make any sense that they would, that, because here's the thing, you, yeah, I think we talked about this before, like just doing like we're gonna try to flip. These are the lowest guys, so they're yeah. put on the on the other guys, and then they'll flip. And apparently, yeah. what they would do was expose all these contacts and who in the New York, because he ran his own kind of ring of of, of communists, yeah, and informers yeah. and stuff. And they could and they could get all these different people, but they already had all those people, yeah, from the Verona decrypts, right? Already- I don't know if they did at this time or if they were still waiting on more because there was this whole like spy network that they were trying to take down. But I don't. I know they had Harry Gold. Yeah. But I don't know who else they who else they had. I don't know if they had Yatskov or anything. But like, yeah, it's work your way up the chain of command. You know, it's like let's get the green glasses to flip on the Rosenbergs, and then let's get the Rosenbergs to flip on their guys. And then so on and so on. I mean, on, but, but that's how. I mean, that's how that works. That's how. That's how. But but it's not entirely clear to me from everything we we talked about that they were above anybody. They were above like they were part of they 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 created the ring right. Yeah. But then they were kind of yeah. out of it. Yeah. And then they were kind yeah. of he in was, it. He was, was ordered to stop. Yeah. Because he because he was a risk to broader Soviet espionage security. Yeah. I don't know. But it, they died because of no, because what? they because they got snitched on, and 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 yeah. if, that's how that's that's how that's how a lot of people in American society die. Like it's it's they want to roll up some stuff and they want to get you locked away, and they can't yeah. you know. But they what they really want is for you to tell them some meaningful information to get uh-huh. them to the next person, and they'll be leaning yep. on your stuff. And if you don't tell yeah. them leaning the stuff, yeah. That's the whole reason that they that they try so hard to implicate Ethel in all this is they thought Julius would be like, oh, shit, 
my wife is in danger. Yeah. Of course I'm gonna snitch. Of course I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna name names if you want me to. If that's what if that's what's gonna make my wife live. If that's what's gonna guarantee her survival. Hell yeah, I'll give you some names. But they're they're both almost like the the ideal spy in that they're loyal and that they're not willing to name names. That doesn't mean that they gave you know, atomic secrets over to mm-hmm. the Russians. In fact, if anything, it was more the green glasses, yeah. but even David Greenglass kind of seems like a shitty spy given like yeah. what the Russians were saying about all the information he was handing over. And it was, it was like, he gave him some uranium. Sure. But it's like, uh, who is this guy? Can, yeah. We couldn't find anyone better. We just got this fucking dope. Like, what are we doing? I don't know, man. Well, that's been the Rosenbergs. And yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's, it's just like it sounded like they just needed to convict somebody, but also yeah. it seemed like they kind of were, but they just fucking didn't flip on anybody. And yeah. you, now you give two people. It also like sent a scare through like the rest of America because it was yeah. like, yo, know, these people who seem like average, normal, everyday people, uh-huh. you know what I mean, Ro- are actually Soviet spies. Yeah, Ethel Rosenberg. Don't trust your neighbor. Is it? Is it like the? The like that's a that's a lady of fucking mystery spy lady. Uh-huh. She just seems mm-hmm. like a lady that fucking drives a minivan. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But uh-huh. you know what I mean. But they it, it could be anybody. It could be anybody. Know? It's a perfect the, note d- to set for like the Cold War and yeah. paranoia you know domestically. I mean? Yeah, and there's like a like a like a parallel to where you've got on the the broad scale mm-hmm. on the the political scale. Yeah, macro you've got the trial of Alger Hiss and Harry Dexter mm-hmm. White and Nixon's crusade. Yeah. And then micro at the civilian level, you've got the Rosenbergs. Okay. And so it's like, it could be anybody. Could it be could anybody. be everybody. Stay vigilant, man. Yeah. Those communists, they're in America. Yeah. We have proof. The, we know they are. One thing about the communists, they're really good at spying Americans. Yep. God, we are just, it's not, it's not, <laughs> it's like just, it's like kids with the money. <laughs> like, yep. that's what it feels no, like. Another, another thing about communists, they're going to kill your children. Okay, so. I didn't. Okay, I don't know about that. But <laughs> all right, guys, so that's uh, that's been our episode on the Rosenbergs. Guys, thank you for listening, Henry. What's your social media information? You find me Henry E Price on Instagram and Henry Price on Facebook. Uh, you find what's me up? at Joshua B Stokes on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Josh Stokes on Facebook. Um, you could you guys can find us at Hard Fried History on Instagram and Facebook and HFH Podcast on Twitter. Thank you guys for mm-hmm. listening. We'll see you next time. Yup. Peace. Take care. Bye. 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 Bye.